0: ask you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 2. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 857. And as we continue in our first Advent series this year, remind you that I don't have children's questions for this series or outlines or blurbs. So would like to say relax and listen to the word of God, but actively listen to the word of God and the message. So our passage is Luke 2, verses 1 to 7. This is the word of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And we're going to end right there. Let's pray that there ends a reading of God's word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this wonderful narrative, this account of this most glorious event. And as we've been meditating upon it, and as we'll consider more today, Lord, we pray that you would burn these things into our hearts, even as Mary cherished things in her heart as she heard them, so we cherish these things in our hearts. Lord, may we receive these things well from you this morning. Having heard your word read, we've already heard from you. And now through the preaching of your word, we pray that you would help us as well. Lord, so please send your Holy Spirit in a special way to help the preacher and to help all of us who will hear this morning as we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, so much has happened from the time when God first promised our first parents that there would be a Savior to come. You can read about those things from Genesis to Malachi, the way that the initial promise of one that would come to deliver us sinners would be spelled out time and again through prophecies, promises, and all kinds of types and signs throughout the Old Testament. Uh, for all the years from Genesis down to Malachi, the last voice we hear of prophecy in Scripture There's so much anticipation, so much to be fulfilled. When we get to Malachi, that very last book of the Old Testament, we hear him declaring that a great and awesome day of the Lord will come. And there will be a forerunner that will come before the actual Messiah comes. He will come like one, like Elijah. And so there are these wonderful promises. But then silence, silence for 400 years. God's people not hearing really anything. There's significant developments throughout those 400 years between the testaments, between the covenants, but there's no clear word until God breaks the silence and speaks to Zechariah. And that's when the voice of God is heard once again among God's people. Luke takes us up to the point of fulfillment. That's where Luke begins when God speaks again to his people. Now, Luke, that one we know as a companion of the Apostle Paul, had to do research. He was not there when these things happened in our passage or for much of what happened in the gospel. So he would have to interview people. And for the early days, he undoubtedly interviewed Mary. Can you imagine hearing the story of the angel speaking to her and everything to do with the nativity of our Savior right from the mouth of Mary. What a wonderful thing that would have been. But we can trust his record. He had eyewitnesses, spoke to Mary, spoke to others, undoubtedly and throughout, even as we follow Jesus up to the cross and the ascension, we have eyewitnesses of this historical life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this wonderful gospel, the gospel of Luke nine months ago there was an announcement made to mary that's where we left off last sunday night announcement to mary that she would be with child and as we come to our passage this morning we're on the verge of the new and glorious day i want us to think about the setting first how did all these things get set up it's the sovereign hand of god the sovereign hand of god God, who's over all things and in all things, is is creating this atmosphere in our history that brings together the spiritual reality that brings us our salvation. We need to keep in mind that there's nothing ever really just ground level, really just material, really just historical. God's always at work. There's always a spiritual reality behind everything. I believe that even this very morning, that even though we're sitting here in our tangible, touchable presence, that that there's a spiritual reality right here, and that through the preaching of God's word, he's speaking, through our worship, he's present with us in a special way. I believe that providentially in God's sovereignty, that each and every one of us is here for a reason. And I trust and pray that that reason is that your hearts will be inspired by the coming of the Savior Jesus. And if you believe that, you will be very much encouraged if you don't believe that you might believe. As John says of his own gospel, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you'd have eternal life. So nothing's really ever at ground level. God is always at work. And especially in Scripture, We see that. He always has us look above when we read God's word to look higher to him. And above all that we see taking place on the face of the earth is God's spiritual plan and in scripture it's the plan of redemption and it's the perfect plan. Designed by God before all eternity. Something beyond our understanding. We cannot probe the mind of God in this this thing we call the incarnation, the the taking on of flesh of the second person of the Trinity is beyond our understanding, but it is the plan from all eternity. But it takes place in time, and it takes place in a place. And so from that perspective, we can understand that, that God came to the plight of mankind that we experience, that they experienced back in these days to save the likes of us, to work that work of redemption. Athanasius was an ancient church father who had tremendous influence on the church. In fact, he's credited, almost single-handedly, with not allowing the ancient church to go down the road of heresy. Here is a quote from Athanasius. He writes, It was our sorry case that caused the word, or the logos, to come down. Our transgression that called out his love for us, so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. It is we who were the cause of his taking human form and for our salvation that in his great love he was both born and manifested in a human body. Now up until this point in our passage, so much has been foretold again through Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. I'm not going to recount all that I did that in 12 points last Sunday morning. I won't do that again this morning. But all these promises have been fulfilled regarding the Christ child. But it all had to do with the way God worked out his providence. For our younger children, providence simply means the way God makes things happen. So in God's providence, God brings all these things together, merges all these things together to set up the perfect time for the Christ to come. So first, rapidly, we see history, geography, politics, economy, religion, genealogy, and even personalities come together. Now each one a little slower, but not too slow, I trust, history. There has been a movement of nations for that 400-year gap That brings us to the point where the Roman Empire is the empire of the whole earth, all the world. It's an amazing empire, but it's nothing compared to the kingdom that God is bringing in earnest that Malachi prophesied, that the prophets prophesied, would come in the days of Christ. Nothing compared to what's being ushered in under Caesar's watch. As prophesied, here's Daniel referring to this one superior eternal unstoppable kingdom. If you're familiar with Nebuchadnezzar's dream of this statue, this kingdom comes in and topples all the others. Here's Daniel the prophet. In the days of those kings, The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that broke it in pieces, the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Rome is at last kingdom, to be overcome by the kingdom of God. That is, until Babylon, that which represents all that sets itself up against God, is destroyed. So, so history, geography, the placement, Rome being that, that one world power, it seems as if it's the whole world, Roman power, but in and under the authority of Rome, we have Israel, the center of God's attention. And then we have Jerusalem, the central focus of faith. And then we have the city of David, where the Christ child must be born. Politics, that hierarchy again of Rome, where we have the Pax Romana, peace in Rome right now, so so a good time in some respects for this to happen. Uh, We have Caesar, Caesar Augustus ruling. We have Herod the Great ruling. We have the Sanhedrin over the Jews. And so... Jesus is not only born under the law of God, but he's born under the law of the nation. And so politics are at play. Economy's at play. I don't mean to bore you with all these things. For some of us, we start to talk about economy and we drift off. But who would have thought that a pagan ruler's requiring a census in order of taxation would be a part of the fulfillment of the coming of the Christ child with amazing detail. So even the economy then played into it. Certainly religion, that remnant of the faithful looking and longing and anticipating the Messiah, some desperately longing, some sorrowfully mourning, others probably complacent, forgetting that the great Messiah was promised to his own people. And then there's genealogy. Two individuals in the line of David, betrothed. And then there's personalities. God knew who he was working with. There's no surprises there. He sends Gabriel, this no-nonsense angel, to announce the news. Angels, by nature, do God's bidding. They don't mess with God's word. And he's sent with this message. So Gabriel comes, by the way, Uh, There's no mocking of God's angels, or there ought not to be. No nonsense message from this angel, Gabriel. And then we, of course, have Zechariah, who needed to have his mouth silenced because of his questioning. And then we have Elizabeth, who gets to bear John the Baptist. God knew their personality, knew their needs, He knew, knew their situation. And then there's Mary. Humble Mary, so blessed among people to be the one to bear the Messiah. God knew her heart. God knew that that even though she would have amazing questions, undoubtedly that she was the one who would be humble enough to bear the Christ child. And then Joseph, who who needed to be assured that everything was good, that he would comply. You have all these personalities. I could even add emotion because you can be sure that because Mary was impregnated before they were married that there were all kinds of emotional things going on in their minds and explanations that they had to give to people. Maybe too much speculation, but certainly behind the scenes. But all these things had to merge into place when the time had fully come for this incarnation. And the real event, the real magnificent mystery, that mind-boggling event took place nine months ago. That awe-inspiring, undoing part of Christmas that I hope at some point all of us experience at some point during the season. We we stop and we really think about what this is all about. It's, It's so magnificent and so mysterious and so mind-boggling that in some ways it should undo us. It's Christ's child conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. The word become flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to read another quote from Athanasius, and, and if while I'm reading it seems as though it's a little confusing, that's because you can't simply explain away the mystery of the incarnation, but you can know it's true. For this purpose then, this is Athanasius, for this purpose then, the incorporeal, or no body, and incorruptible, no sin, And immaterial word, the logos, of God entered our world. In one sense, indeed, he was not far from it before. For no part of creation had even been without him who, while ever abiding in union with the Father, yet fills all things that are. But now he entered the world in a new way stooping into our level in his love and self-revealing to us. And he goes on, his body was for him not a limitation, but an instrument so that he was both in it and in in all things and outside all things, resting in the Father alone. At one and the same time, this is the wonder. As man, he was living a human life. And as word, he was sustaining the life of the universe. And as son, he was in the constant union with the Father. Then we come upon Christmas proper, the birth that we celebrate. Those nine months leading up to the day were filled with amazing things. John the Baptist had been born. His father's lips had been unsealed. Joseph and Mary had been married by this point, and And they, they came to grips with this ominous calling that they were called to raise the Christ child. In that month, Jesus developed in Mary's womb, as far as we know, healthily. Or in Mary's tummy, as we might say to our children. birth itself, and I'm kind of saving that for tonight, the birth itself came about in an ordinary way as far as we know. There was nothing extraordinary, except for the announcement that we'll look at, but this humble, natural birth. But everything's being fulfilled even down to the town, the right time and the right place. In fact, Mary probably didn't need to go with Joseph. The men needed to go to be registered for the census, but Mary probably didn't need to go. But the baby did have to be born there. The baby did have to be born in Bethlehem. Besides that, if the baby was born back in Nazareth without Joseph there, you can imagine the rumors that would have been spread. But prophecy had to be fulfilled. Micah 5. You, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so here Joseph and Mary enter Bethlehem, and among the masses gathered there, there's no place for them to stay at the inn. They need to find accommodations, so Joseph finds accommodations in a cattle stall, a cave, where you can be sure that Joseph and Mary made it safe and healthy and comfortable enough for Mary to have her baby and to care for the baby, but nonetheless an animal stable, this makeshift birthing room, and a nursery. And that's where I'll leave us as far as our passages this morning. But here's the thing. It's all a wonderful story. It's all amazing fulfillment of prophecy. It's the most pivotal event in history. But if it doesn't have application to our lives, what does it all mean? It is the most pivotal point in history. I mean, we believe in B.C., before Christ. We believe in A.D., B.C., Antichristum, before Christ. A.D. Anno Domini, after. Or the year of our Lord, I'm sorry, not after. None of that lame astronomical year or common era. We understand clearly that all history and everything pivots on the coming of the Lord Jesus. But again, we need to understand that this has bearing on all of our lives. There is a king from heaven over all. And albeit in humiliation at this point, he is king of kings and lord of all. And all creation should acknowledge it. And all creation is called to bow down before this king and worship him. And so we have this, this beautiful, historic, accurate story of the king coming to earth. The king of glory. But if we miss the whole purpose again, what what is it? If we we miss the purpose, we miss it all. It's got to personally apply to us. This is about redemption. This is about salvation. And do you understand the coming of Christ and his complete work, including, of course, his suffering and dying, rising up from the dead and ascending down? Do you understand that as, as your redemption, as your salvation? If so, then you cherish this gift of the gospel as the most precious gift that you have. And so you can celebrate Christmas with great jubilation because you know that it all has to do at least personally with your salvation, with the saving of your soul. It's much bigger than that, of course. It's much bigger than that. But for you, has that borne down on your soul? I trust it has, but if you're a skeptic, if all these things coming together haven't convinced you, with all these promises from the very beginning down to the coming of Christ, and then all that's recorded in the Gospels and in the letters that explain so much, and then Revelation that once again lifts our eyes to heaven, if all those things don't convince you, I only have one recommendation for you, and that is to pray. That the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who worked in Mary's womb, the incarnation, that same Holy Spirit would work in your heart to open your heart, to open your eyes, to know and see the truth and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The true joy of Christmas is knowing Christ and being reconciled to God. And knowing that we have life in him now and forever. May God grant to each one of us that unimaginable gift of grace and his salvation. Let's pray. Merciful and mighty God, you are so good it is hard for us to express. Your love is so profound and so deep and so wondrous, and your ways are so magnificent. We can hardly grasp it, but we have the truth, and we cherish it. The gospel, that salvation to those who believe, all bound up in our Savior, Jesus. How we praise you this morning as we celebrate the mystery, the wonder, the magnificence of the incarnation, and all that it means for all creation, for all eternity, for your church, for your people, and for us. We give you praise and thanks, and we come to you in the name of our Savior, born in humility, our Savior who died, but who now lives and who reigns and rules forever and ever. Amen.